thank you everybody for joining the Tuttle School and the Consolidated Planning Group on your lunch hour. Allison Skalberg, will, the president of CPG, will be providing important information on Social Security and Medicaid waivers. Thank you, Allison. Thank you. It is my pleasure to be with you guys today. Um, we are excited to talk about this topic. This is a popular topic and, um, and a topic that there is a lot of confusion with when we start talking about Medicaid waivers, as she said. I'm Allison Skaberg, uh, owner of Consolidated Planning Group. We are a holistic special needs financial planning firm. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about that um, earlier that, you know, sometimes there's a lot of confusion between uh, what a special needs planning firm does and what the, the special needs attorney um, attorney does. And we do work very closely together, but the jobs that we do are, um, are very, very different. Um, you know, the attorney, I, I, I usually kind of say that it's pretty, pretty quick down and dirty is uh, they're the paper and we're the money. So the legal documents, we've got to have some legal documents in, in place like uh, a will and we often talk about special needs trusts, and we're going to talk about those today, a special needs trust. A lot of families are considering guardianship or alternatives to guardianship and those types of things. And all of those are your estate planning attorney, your special needs planning attorney that's going to handle those things. And when it comes to consolidated planning group, we're the money, we're the funding. How do we fund the special needs trust? How do we have the money in the right buckets to make sure that we preserve the eligibility for the very benefits that we're going to be talking about today? So I always just like to start out um, by that. And the truth is, is that you need us both. Um, they don't really do what we do and we don't really do what uh, what they do. But when it comes to planning uh, for your loved one, um, you're going to need both um, during the planning process. So Medicaid waivers, SSI eligibility and preserving benefits. This is something um, that is that is very, very confusing. Um, one thing that you've probably heard as a parent is, is your kid on the list? Is your child on the list? Are they on the interest list? Are they on the waiting list? Are all some of the things that we hear um, pretty regularly as it relates to this list. So what we're talking about are Medicaid waivers um, in the state of Texas. I don't think that we have anybody outside of Texas joining us today, but all states have Medicaid waivers, but today we're talking about the Texas waivers, okay? And so, what these waivers are first and foremost designed to do is they are designed to waive off some of the cost of care for caring for an individual with a disability to keep them in home and community-based services, okay? So what we believe is that um, that our loved one is going to be best in home and community-based services. There are residential services and things like that, and we'll talk um, a little bit about those uh, as well. But so these waivers, depending on the waivers that uh, the waiver that you may qualify for, they um, they are going to provide things like therapy services, various therapies. We're going to kind of get in the weeds with um, those. There um, may pro provide attendant services or respite services and things like that. Um, so we're going to go through each one of these. And I should have mentioned at the beginning, and I forgot, um, today's webinar is being recorded. And everything um, that you see today on these slides, you're going to get a copy of the slides so you don't have to take notes of everything. The links are built in uh, to, uh, to the slides as well. So you are going to get a copy of that um, and also uh, a link for the recording as well. So I wanted to mention that. And I also wanted to mention that um, we do um, welcome and invite your questions. If you have a question, probably somebody else um, on here uh, does as well. So if you'll put your um, questions on in the chat box, she's going to be monitoring the chat box for us and um, we'll read out any questions and we'll get to as many as we can. And then if you're planning your lunch hour, um, we are going from 12 to 1. We'll be done by 1 o'clock today. Um, so are we okay on questions so far? We do have a question, Allison. Okay, um, sure. Somebody wants to know if they raised their niece as their daughter, and if you that person passes away, does she collect on your social security? And her parents are deceased. So the general answer is if they've adopted, um, if there has been an adoption in place is generally what the answer is. Um, otherwise, they would collect on their own parent's record if the, their own parent becomes disabled um, or deceased. We've had this um, situation a lot in a lot of families where they, um, like our grandparents having 
um, custody of, of their grandkids. And even the guardianship of it doesn't necessarily count unless they adopt that person. That's the answer that we got from the Social Security uh, Administration. So that is that is a good question. The, um, but one interesting thing is, is if um, you're um, married and um, so in, for instance, the, the child with the disabilities has a step parent, um, in that example, the child could draw off of a step parent. Um, in that in, in that example, but we have not seen that unless there's an, an actual adoption in place um, for for the others. So, um, and are, are we okay? Do we have any other questions? No more questions right now. Okay, thank you. Um, all right, so let's talk about these waivers. So, um, in Texas and in most places, we like acronyms. We have acronyms for everything. So. Um, we've got the class waiver, the DBMD, um, deafblind, multiple disabilities. We have the HCS waiver, home and community-based services. We have Texas Home Living, MDCP. We have a Star Plus waiver, a youth empowerment um, service waiver, which is called the YES waiver. And then we have community first choice. So these are some of the waivers that we're going to go a little bit um, deeper on. So, and I, I, because we're sharing our slides, um, we just kind of put a little definition of each one of these waivers and who they serve. Um, so again, you know, when we're talking about class, this is going to give home and community-based supports to children and adults with related conditions. There's over 200 related conditions. Um, and the related condition must um, have occurred prior to the child turning age 22. Most of the waivers, not all, I want to be clear that it's not all, um, have a component to them that, that the individual has to have an intellectual disability, um, which means an IQ of 70 or below or 75 and below. Uh, with multiple disabilities, but the class waiver, that is not the case for the class waiver. There is no um, 70 or below IQ requirement for that one. Uh, the next one, we have our deaf blind with multiple disabilities, and it is exactly what it says. It gives services for children and adults who are deaf and blind and have a related disability, like have another disability as well. So it's not just deaf or blind. Um, it's deaf and blind with an additional disability. Um, the waiting list, because, you know, fewer people have all of those disabilities on, on the, the DBMD, the waiting list for the DBMD is going to be considerably shorter than some of the other ones out there. Um, for the HCS, um, this is the Home and Community-Based Services. This gives services and supports to children and adults with an intellectual disability or related condition who live with their families or in their own homes or in a small group home with no more than four people. Then we also have um, Medically Dependent Children's Program, MDCP. This gives services to children and adults under age 20 who are medically fragile as an alternative to receiving services in a nursing facility. So MDCP is one that it's possible that some of the families on here may have received in the past or are currently receiving. So we've got the Star Plus um, HCBS. This gives services to adults age 21 and over to keep them in their community and not in a nursing home facility. Um, and services are offered through an MCO, um, a managed care organization. You can get on this list um, at age 21, and the list is not very long on this one. Um, then we also have our um, our Texas Home Living um, can you see my screen? I, I ha I'm having something pop up. Can you see my screen okay? Hello? Hi, Allison? Everything froze, Allison. Hold on. Now we can see the star plus. But you're on mute. Okay, sorry about that. It kind of froze up on me. I wasn't sure what was happening. Um, okay, so the Texas Home Living, um, again, it's service to children and adults with an intellectual disability who live in their own home or their family's home. The YES waiver is one that I like to talk about um, because a lot of people don't know that the YES waiver 
uh, exists. This is under 1915C. It's a Medicaid program that gives home and community-based services to children under the age of 19 with serious mental, emotional, or behavioral um, difficulties. And there are a lot of counties in the state um, that do not have a waiting list um, for this YES waiver. It is a um, it is a wraparound program and it provides a lot of services to the individual and to the family. Um, and like I said, there's not, there's a lot of people that don't know about this and there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of counties that are not on a waiting list for this, but think about, um, but this has to be their main disability. So if we have a, a loved one with a, a mental health challenges, maybe, um, you know, maybe think, I always think of like the alphabet soup of, um, you know, bi bipolar, borderline personality disorder, um, OCD, it might be anxiety, depression. Um, those are some of the other things. Um, it can also be, um, you know, maybe uh, an individual who has been or um, a threat to themselves or others. Maybe they've run away. Maybe they have um, some, maybe they've had a run in love with the law. Maybe they've had um, any, if there's been any drug um, issues or self-harm or some of those things. So I, that is a big, long, huge list of encompassing things. But my the point is, is their primary diagnosis in this yes waiver can't be Down syndrome and they have those other challenges. The primary diagnosis has to be kind of a net that mental health um, realm on that. Okay. And we've also seen like the primary diagnosis on this one being like ADHD, and then they have all those um, kind of other comorbid uh, conditions. So this is one that you just want to know about. And I'm going to um, talk to you guys about how to get on the list, how to check, make sure that you're on all of the list, um, kind of see where you stand. The Community First Choice, uh, CFC, uh, this allows states to provide a home and community based attendance services and supports to Medicaid recipients with disabilities. Um, and it is supposed to help with activities of daily living, health-related tasks, um, hands-on services, helping them learn how to care for themselves. So this is CFC, and this is an entitlement, and the list is not very long, typically a year or less on the um, Community First Choice waiver. Okay, so again, um, I just want to mention again, and when we're talking about these waivers, because again, we always talk about the list, but we don't even, a lot of families don't really even know what it, what this list is even for. Like, what is exactly do I get, you know, uh, if if we come up on this you know, magical list? And again, it, it's, it's really, really designed. Um, all of these waivers have various budgets. And when you come up on, a, on the list, your local authority, which we're going to talk about in a moment, is going to determine the level of need um, for the individual, and that will determine the budget, how many attendant hours you might get, how many respite hours you get, um, various therapies and things like that. A lot of these waivers, I, I think, um, if you can think it up, there's a therapy for it, art therapy, music therapy, equine therapy. Uh, it just goes massage therapy. There's so many different types of therapies out there. And um, a lot of these waivers cover um, these types of therapies and they can do it in your home. They can do it at the school setting, um, depending on where they are and what the school's policies are on, on those types of things. Um, it can pay for adaptive aid. Um, financial management services, supported employment, employment assistance, um, and that is kind of partnered with, and you may have heard of this before, we do actually have webinars on this, uh, vocational rehab through the um, Workforce Commission. We've got Workforce Solutions and Workforce Commission. You may have heard of Summer Earn and Learn, or pre, they call it PREETS which stands for pre-employment training services, but there are a lot of programs out there for, um, for our kids um, that may have an impediment, a disability, that is an impediment to employment. So there's a lot of support out there. May cover minor home modifications, and as we mentioned earlier, uh, respite care as well. So some of the other things um, that some of the waivers can um, cover, it might be transportation, uh, it could be residential services. Uh, we talked about equine therapy, a day, day hab, kind of the wording that they're going to be using um, going forward in 2023. Isn't I think they're not going to use the day hab. There's kind of a way around it, but, um, but it covers, you know, it might cover some transition programs and things like that and nursing. Okay, so this is a big important slide. Um, um, when it talks to our, you know, waiver general eligibility, most waivers 
um, they have a financial um, eligibility because we've, we've been calling them Medicaid waivers. So the individual has to stay Medicaid qualified um, to receive the waiver and to continue to receive the waiver. And a lot of families, and I would suggest probably most of the families that, that you know, have students in Tuttle School say, well, we're never going to qualify for this because we're not going to qualify for Medicaid. We make too much money. When it comes to these waivers, it's based off of the eligibility of the individual with a disability, not the parent's um, income and assets, okay? So for when you come up on these waiver interest lists, they're gonna do the application based off of the child, uh, not you, which is different for SSI. So when we have a minor child, we're gonna talk more about this, but when we have a minor child that has a disability, uh, they get denied, most of them get denied for SSI and Medicaid when they're a minor because that qualification for SSI and Medicaid is based off of the parents' income and assets. But what I'm saying is it, for these waivers, it is based off of the student's um, qualifications. So basically, the eligibility for income for that individual with a disability is whatever 300% of SSI is for the year. So for 2022, SSI is 841 a month. So 300% of that is 2523. That's the most income they can have uh, uh, coming in. And we want to keep their assets under $2,000 in their name. For 2023, SSI is going to be 914 per month. And we want to keep that um, their income. Not that this is a pressing problem for many people, but we want to make sure that the individual with a disability's income is not more than $27.42 per month. Okay. So what I'm saying to you is if you thought you didn't qualify your, your, your child for this waiver, uh, you, they probably will. Um, but they do have to meet those functional eligibility requirements for the specific waiver. Um, and so one thing that is really important to know is that it, it's not the eligibility eligibility for these waivers is not determined until they come up on the top of the waiting list. So you don't have to prove your eligibility to get yourself on the list. It's when you come up on the list and they have a slot uh, for your loved one is when they're going to have to prove that eligibility. So where we were talking about the IQ of 70 or below or deafblind, multiple disabilities, et cetera, that's where that is going to come into play. Okay. All right, so um, the interest list, the wait list, it's a first come, first serve um, basis. It's a statewide list, and the wait can be as long as 17 years, and that is not a typo, unfortunately. Um, we keep hoping that uh, they're going to close the gap on this list, and it's going to be a shorter wait time. The truth is, is some states do a really, really great job with the waivers and other states don't. Some states uh, in the U.S. don't have any waiting list at all. Each state has Medicaid waivers. They're a little bit different in what they cover. Some have more, some have less. Um, and, and, and some states don't have a waiting list, but we happen to have a very long waiting list. Um, we kind of jockey back and forth with Florida. Florida's kind of 17 to 20 year waiting list as well for, for these waiver lists. So we are hopeful, you know, every legislative session are, are, uh, in Texas, they meet uh, every two years. So they are going to be meeting again in 2023. We're always hopeful that, um, that we'll close the gap on some of this, but so far, so that's what it is. Um, but these are designed to promote um, independence and divert an individual from um, an institution or um, address crisis. And then there are waivers also that helps an individual who is in an institution that wants to move back into home and community-based services. They help with that transition back into home and community-based services uh, as well. Okay, so this too is a very, very important slide here. Um, what is a LIDA? So do we call it a LIDA or do we call it a LIDA? I don't even know. Um, I guess it just depends on how you pronounce things. But it stands for your local intellectual uh, developmental Disability Authority, okay? So that's what it stands for. So LIDA or LIDA, whatever you call it. So here's one thing that happens all the time is we hear families say, my kid is on all the wait lists, okay? Um, and what we find out is, is that their child is on the wait list for, with the LIDA, okay? There are different phone numbers for different lists 
And so your local intellectual authority, so let's talk about Houston because we're kind of a uh, Houston-based group today. Um, Your local intellectual disability authority is the Harris Center. That is who your local authority is. It used to be for for veteran parents that are on here today. Um, for years, it was called MHMR, so a lot of people still call it uh, MHMR, but it is called the Harris Center now. That's your local authority. So, um, and if you're from another county, um, this link here to find your local authority um, will take you to a website where you simply plug in your zip code, and it's going to tell you who your local authority is. So, if you want to get on the HCS. Texas Home Living Community First Choice Waiver Interest List, or you want to check your status on where your child is on the interest list, you're going to call your local authority for that. So one thing um, that I think is a little crazy, but I want you to know you're not crazy. This is true. This is the way that it is set up right now. Uh, there is no like database that you can like create a username and password and just log in and see where your kid is on the list. I, I hope one day that that is created. You literally do have to call your local authority to find out where you're, to put your child on the list. You have to call them to find out where your child is on the list. The local authorities are supposed to reach out to you about every two years to ask you if you still want to be on the list and let you know your number. Sometimes they reach out in writing. Sometimes they reach out by phone, and you don't want to ignore those communications. So if they leave you a message, call them back. If you get a letter and it's asking for a response, make sure you respond um, because you can be removed from the list from non-response. Another thing that I want to tell you about your local authority before we move on to these other lists that you can put yourself on um, If you move, your local authority changes, okay? So it is by county. So like, for instance, um, you know, uh, like Sugarland, Fort Bend County, your local authority is going to be Texana. That's your local authority. So if we've got anybody that's um, from Fort Bend out here, um, you know, we've got a different one in Galveston County, those types of things. So if you move, you need to contact your, your local authority that you put yourself on the list. So Harris Center, if you're moving from Harris to Fort Bend and you call Fort Bend and you let them know that you've come into their county. So the cool thing is, is you're not going to lose your place online. You're not starting over if you move counties. You're just getting a a new local authority. Okay, so HCS, Texas Home Living Community First Choice. On those previous pages, we talked about a bunch of other waivers. So when you think you're on all the lists, if you've only called your local authority, you're not on all of the lists. You need to call the 800 number above for MDCP class and DBMD. There's a special 800 number. It has nothing to do with your local authority to get your um, to get your loved one on that interest list and to check their status. So that's the first things first is kind of just debunking that. And then of course Star Plus. Uh, that is going to be for the 21-year-olds um, and over. There's an 800, a separate um, 800 number yet for that waiver. So it can be a little bit confusing. But what we don't want you to happen is um, it, what want to happen to you is that you know about 10 years into the waiting list, you thought your child was on all the list and they're only on the HCS Texas Home Living Community First Choice, or you thought they were on all the list and they're only on the class MDCP and DBMD list and not the ones with the local authority. So sorry for kind of belaboring that, but but what we see here is that there are mistakes on this all the time because it is pretty confusing. So one thing that I want to talk about um, when it comes to promoting independence is, you know, we talked about these waiting lists and the waiting list being 17 years long, and it's kind of a little disheartening when you think, really, that long? Um, I'm, we're never going to get services, but there is a such thing. I hope that there is. It, it's not um, a thing for you, but there is a such thing for as a crisis diversion slot. Okay, so what a crisis diversion um, slot is is um, if you or your loved one is in crisis, you can contact your local authority and tell them that you would like to request an HCS crisis diversion slot. So let me give you some examples of things that we've seen through the years of a crisis diversion where the crisis was actually granted. Um, we saw um, a, a child um, who who is a teenager who is on the autism spectrum and was getting bigger and bigger and was becoming more and more aggressive, um, becoming a threat to himself and others. Um, was a single dad. He had moved his mother here um, from out of state, and the um, boy was becoming a threat to grandma. And um, and so the, the, the key is, is 
the individual at risk of being placed outside of the home. So that was an example where we did get a crisis diversion slot. They were nowhere close on the list. I mean, they had been on the list like a year or something, you know, short. Um, another example um, is when, so it says you or your loved one. Okay. So, um, and the, another example is, is if something happens to a caregiver. So one of the parents is diagnosed with a terminal illness, a parent passes away one parent is sick, <clears throat> the other parent needs to take care of the other parent, the student is at risk, um, the individual is at risk of being placed outside the home. That could be uh, an, another example of crisis. But in the example of, uh, always in the example of being a threat to themselves or others, that those are some of the examples. So I hope that you don't have a crisis, but what I'm telling you here is that if you do, don't miss your crisis opportunity. So the first point of contact, um, on this is going to be your local authority. They help with the process. They have a crisis line. All local authorities all across the state of Texas actually have a 24-7 crisis line that you can call. Um, and they're supposed to be helpful in kind of walking you through this process. Now, what we have seen is some local authorities are very, very helpful and very, very great. And other local authorities are not. What we saw is in COVID that they had a lot of turnover. Um, of employees and um, were understaffed and things like that. They were trying really, really hard. But here's the thing. You got to go to them first. And if you're hitting a brick wall, you're not getting anywhere. There are other options um, out there. Um, the the ARC of Texas, uh, there is another organization. I don't think I have a slide on this that is called Every Child. Uh, they're actually out of Austin, but they have um, representatives and boots on the ground in every major city across the state. Um, they do have boots on the ground in, um, in Houston. And so we have had times where we went to the local authority um, we were not being, we were not able to get that crisis diversion through the local authority. But when we got every child um, involved, they were able to help expedite that process and get that crisis diversion slot uh, approved. So I just like to mention that to families. So um, from a, you know, a perspective of, you know, how do how do you get started with special needs planning? For one thing. Um, at Consolidated Planning Group, we do have a YouTube channel. I think I put that in the chat box. It'll be on another slide um, uh, that you guys will get as, as well. But all of our webinars, so we do webinars on a weekly basis, and all of our topics are um, surrounding planning for special needs. We um, And the thing is, is, as you know, a lot of the stuff is very, very confusing. And the truth is, is there is a webinar for each one of these topics. You can have um, an hour-long webinar. We can just about special needs trust or just about guardianship are just about SSI and Medicaid. So um, I do invite you to check out our YouTube channel. You can subscribe to it for free. All of our past web webinars look uh, live out there. There's over 200 out there. And so you can kind of peruse the one for the stuff that you're on that might be appropriate for kind of, you know, where you're going with your planning. And, um, and what happens is once a month, we'll put out an email of all of our webinars for the month and you can register uh, for, uh, for those webinars, any of the other ones that might be um, relevant to you. The webinars are usually um, during the week. They're always very, very free, infrequently are they on the weekend, but they're usually during the week from 12 to 1. Okay, so getting started with special needs um, planning, um, you want to work with a special needs planner to help you formulate a plan. Um, and I, I liken this to if we have a heart problem, we're not going to go see a podiatrist. We're not even going to go see the PCP. We're going to go see a cardiologist. Um, I liken that to the same when it comes to working with a special needs planner. There are 250,000 advisors, um, financial advisors in the U.S. and less than 125, not 1,000, 125 total in the U.S., are nuanced and special needs. So when it comes to planning, it's important to work with a special needs planner because under, understanding how to have money and how to set things up and how to maintain um, your eligibility for state and federally funded programs is really important and having money in the right buckets. We talked in the beginning, we talked about the difference between a special needs planner and a special needs attorney. So we'll, we'll move on from that. But when you get started with planning, you're going to want to gather all of the necessary planning documents. What are these? These are the documents that you already have in place. It might be a will, it might be a special needs trust. You might have guardianship or alternatives to guardianship. These are your statements. Um, Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, 401ks, 403bs, um, insurance or benefits that you might have through your employer, insurance or benefits that you may have purchased outside of your employer, 
Um, those are all types of the, the planning documents. To, you want to also include your social security statement and your full earnings record. Because to the point of um, somebody that was in the chat box earlier who asked about being um, covered as, as a disabled adult child, that's where those social security statements um, come in. You're going to want to de um, develop a letter of intent. We actually do have a template for the letter of intent. Um, that it's basically sharing everything that there is to know about your loved one with a disability that if you become incapacitated or no longer here on this earth, that the person that would be filling in your shoes can kind of pick up where you left off. They're never going to be able to fill, fill your shoes, but to know who are the doctors, what is the diagnosis, what are the meds? I mean, all of the details as a parent that we know, and we do have a full webinar on a letter of intent on our YouTube channel as well. But when you are getting started on thinking ab about planning for your for the long term, um, we want you to think about um, your vision for both you and your loved one, not just our loved one. Our, as parents, we're guilty of of just thinking about our kids and we kind of put ourselves on their back burner. But I always say that this is a marathon, not a sprint. Okay. So if we have a loved one that is going to have care needs for the rest of their life, not just the rest of ours or not till age 22, things like that, it's like a third retirement bucket. And so when it comes to, um, you know, planning um, for the future, we got to have some respite care, some semblance of what we hoped our retirement would look like um, and some balance um, if we are kind of running this long marathon as opposed to some sprints. So that that is the first start. Um, do we have a question? Yes, we do have a question. Um, the question is, have you found that every child or other agencies provide assistance with older disabled children over 18 or older for crisis assistance if you were unsuccessful with um, LIDA? I think it's worth checking with them. They have, they are very, very successful. Um, and, and so I, the one crisis, so they did help with the other crisis and, and he was an adult, he was not a minor child. Um, but I think that they're also well-versed in being able to refer out, like if there is, um, uh, if there's another agency that needs to be involved they're they're very good at pulling them in as well. Okay. Um, all right, so we're going to dive into SSI um, and uh, Social Security. There's a lot of confusion here. So how, how is my child's care going to be funded? So first and foremost, the bulk of our kids' care is ultimately going to be funded from a special needs trust. The special needs trust uh, can be funded from um, personal assets. It could be um, funded from an inheritance. A lot of families fund their special needs trust with life insurance. So basically, the family is going to use their assets for retirement while they're alive, but they have life insurance on mom and dad. So when mom and dad pass away, the life insurance proceeds will fund the special needs trust, which will provide care for our loved one in the future. There's really two places that you can have money outside um, uh, of a regular account for your loved one outside of $2,000. So the Medicaid requirements are $2,000 or less assets in their name. So if a person has more than $2,000 assets in their name, they're going to disqualify for Medicaid and not be eligible for the waivers that we talked about, right? So we can never have more than $2,000 assets in our loved one's name that has a disability unless the more than $2,000 is in a special needs trust, which could be a first party special needs trust, which means it's their money. Um, and there is a Medicaid payback on it. But the idea is to have it in a third party special needs trust, where this is the money that is given to them, left to them, life insurance proceeds, a third party special needs trust, there's no Medicaid payback. And these are things that are not a do it yourself or um, just like when we were talking kind of about, you know, your situation is specialized, you should work with a specialist. I want to say that, um, although we're not an attorney, we strongly um, suggest that you work with an attorney specialized, we're happy to make referrals, we've got referrals all across the state of Texas, of qualified uh, attorneys that do a great job. And that's what they do. They work in special needs. You do not want somebody that can do a special needs trust, that they don't do them on a regular basis. We see things with mistakes all of the time. You want to work with an attorney that is nuanced in this. We have a lot of um, uh, clients that are, um, that are attorneys themselves, 
but they are not estate planning attorneys. So again, we wouldn't use your neighbor next door that's a real estate attorney and he's really smart. Um, we wouldn't do it ourselves. I mean, we have, again, really, really smart attorneys uh, that are our clients, but that's not what they do. So they hired an attorney to get their special needs trust, to get their guardianship in place and those types of things. So that's real, real important. So another place that you can have um, money outside of that $2,000 and not count against you for Medicaid purposes is an ABLE account. This is organized under the 529A. Um, so we've heard of 529Cs before. 529C is for college. 529A was organized under the IRS um, code 529 in 2014. And this is for an individual um, that has a disability and the individual's disability had to start um, prior to age 26. So it doesn't matter how old they are now, you can have an ABLE account, even if they're older than 26, as long as the disability started prior to age 26. So um, for an ABLE account, um, the cool thing about the ABLE account is it um, it grows tax-free tax -free distributions. Um, so people like it for that reason. You can put um, $16,000 a year. That was for 2022 and $17,000 a year for uh, 2023. And it an additional $12,880 if the individual with a disability um, uh, is, is working. Okay. They can put an additional amount. Um, so those are the things like with the ABLE account, we talked about kind of life insurance funding, the special needs trust. Some people are, um, a little, you know, wary of life insurance or, you know, again, there's a lot of financial advisors out there and they're not nuanced in special needs. And they talk about life insurance. We talk about the why behind life insurance. So life insurance is, I, I call it smart money. Okay. Um, life insurance passes tax-free to heirs, okay? And a lot of times when it comes to our own retirement, mom and dad, we're going to spend 25 to 35 years in retirement. So it is, it, it is possible that we're going to need our assets that we saved up over a 25 or 35-year period for our own retirement. So then how do we fund the trust? So granted, there's a lot of people with inheritance and other things like that, and sometimes trusts are funded that way. But life insurance is a great way to ensure for sure that you have your retirement your way and that there's still enough money and funding to fund the, um, the trust. So a lot of times when people come to us, they come to us because they say, listen, we need help. We have the trust, but we need to know how much money is going to be needed to fund the trust. So we're able to do future care cost estimates. And what we tell people is, let's plan for the worst. We're going to hope for the best because a lot of families, they're hopeful and optimistic. We're not there yet but we're still hopeful and optimistic, right? So that's a lot of families fall into that category. Other families definitively know that the child's gonna have care needs for the, for the rest of the child's life. Um, but we're able to do those future care cost estimates and we'll, and we'll kind of do them in a way of, um, I kind of call it small, medium and large. Like what if we need some care or like maybe an attendant or something like that? Uh, what if we were going to do a, a group home or something like that? What if we needed full residential care? What does that look like? Dollars and cents. How much do we need to fund the trust? So we're able to help with um, things like that. So let's talk about SSI and Social Security. So SSI, and what I want to say, this is where, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of questions and it gets pretty confusing. Um, SSI and SSDI or Social Security um, are two different programs, okay? So SSI, Supplemental Security Income, is a means-based program. When you have a child with a disability, it is based off of mom and dad's income and assets. Um, so the means-based program is, do you have more than $2,000 assets in your name? Do you have more than one house, more than one car? So basically, if your child is a minor, um, and they have a disability, if you have more than $2,000 assets in your name, if you have more than one house or more than one car, your, your child is basically not going to qualify for SSI. Not yet. Okay, they will in the future. So right now, SSI is going to be 914 a month starting in 2023. Um, and along with SSI comes um, Medicaid. So it's a means-based program. You have to be disabled and, and indigent is basically what the SSI program is. So SSDI, it stands for Social Security Disability Income, and then Social Security is like Social Security Retirement. So Social Security, SSDI, Social Security Disability are kind of a synonymous program, okay? So a lot of times people say, my child's getting SSDI when they're really getting SSI, okay? So we're 
so when it comes to Social Security, so we talked about SSI being a means-based program. SS, Social Security, SSDI, Social Security Disability, is a worker-based program. When you work, you pay into the system, and later that system will pay out to you when you either retire or you go on disability. A lot of our kids with disabilities may not ever work. So they will never pay into that social security system that we have paid into. So what happens with this, there is a program, it's called Childhood Disability Benefits, CDB. They just changed the name in the last couple of years. They called it Disabled Adult Child. They called it DAC for like 40 years. And sometimes when you call the Social Security Administration, they actually still call it DAC, but it's actually called Childhood Disability Benefits now. And so what is cool about this program is this is where if our child's disability started prior to age 22, they have the ability to be covered under a parent's record for Social Security, Social Security disability purposes. And what that means is that so um, when it, when a parent either retires or goes on disability, the child has the ability to have 50% of the parent's record. So let me give you an example. Uh, mom or dad retires, their social security retirement benefit is $4,000 a month, okay? Uh, little Johnny, because his disability started prior to age 22, would be entitled to $2,000 a month. So in that example, if he was already getting SSI and Medicaid, then dad retires, little Johnny's going to flip over from SSI and Medicaid to SSDI under a parent's record, and his amount is going to increase from $914 a month to the $2,000 a month. So that's why we want to maintain our eligibility um, for SSI and, and Medicaid programs um, and maintain that eligibility um, for um, for qualifying for these things, for them to be able to be covered as a disabled adult child, because obviously that monthly amount um, is much more significant than the 914 to 50% of a parent's record in most in most cases. But so that's 50%. And then and that continues for as long as the child remains disabled, as long as the parent remains alive, upon the parent's death, that amount is going to be increased to 75% of the parent's record for as long as the child lives and remains disabled. So um, what I will say here is, is this is kind of one of the unique things that we bring to the table. We have a proprietary software uh, that uh, that takes into consideration. It's the only software out there. Um, it does a social security analysis. It tells us exactly when and how to pull the trigger on our social security to maximize benefits for the whole household. And this is including maybe a spouse that was a caregiver and maybe didn't work outside the home. It's including benefits for the worker and including benefits for the, 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 the child with a disability. Um, I, I think we have some questions, so let's take some questions. Okay, first question. So, so they split the parent's Social Security. Were the parents still receiving their 4K and their child also gets 2K? Yes, they um, they don't reduce the parent's social security. Now there are family maximums. So in that example where we had uh, one parent that stayed home and was a caregiver, one parent was the worker, uh, the parent that stayed home would be able to draw off of the spouse's record. And there is a such thing as family maximums. Our software our software calculates it. It's not a um, it's not an easily calculated thing. Um, uh, just by your own calculations, but our software takes into consideration the Social Security family maximums. Okay, um, other question. Does the CDB program require an ID diagnosis? No, um, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that and not to be confused with the, some of those waivers. Um, there are hundreds of con, um, conditions out there that are considered um, like a slam dunk for childhood disability benefits, um, cerebral palsy, um, Down syndrome. You can Google this. Like there's so much, there's so many rare disorders out there, but like Down syndrome is um, uh, definitely uh, considered for what they call it as a presumptive uh, allowance. So um, uh, muscular dystrophy. There's a lot of them out there. So I don't know, you know, there's so many people on here. I have no idea what all the other diagnoses are, but 
intellectual disability is a disability in itself. Um, uh, so that is a disability in itself, but there are lots and lots of autism. It could just go on and on. I've seen kids that had ADHD and other comorbid conditions that, um, that, you know, didn't necessarily, one might not think that they, you know, they had this, you know, childhood disability qualification, but, but they do. So they take you through that process. But one important thing before I take um, more questions, I want to mention to you guys, um, because you've probably been denied before. Maybe you never applied because you knew you wouldn't qualify because it would be based off of your income and assets for SSI, that means-based program, when your child is under age 18. But what you have to know is everything changes when your child turns 18. So it's based off of their income and assets when they turn 18, not yours. So that's why we want to make sure they don't have more than $2,000 assets in their name, that they do, that it needs to be moved to a special needs trust or an ABLE account. We want to apply for SSI and Medicaid for them when they do turn 18 because it'll be based off of their assets, even if you have guardianship of them, even if they live under uh, your roof. Once they turn 18, everything changes. So <clears throat> because some people have been denied before, they don't go back to the well because they don't know. So I just want you to know that you, you should be planning and that should be on your transition plan. Okay, we'll take some more questions. Okay, you might have just answered this one. Does SSI work based on my earnings after child turns 18? No, but I actually have seen um, mistakes that the Social Security office has made from time to time where they still were counting the parents' assets. They absolutely cannot, will not, should not. And if they're if after the child turns 18, they're counting the parents' assets and income, it is wrong. And you need to speak to a supervisor at the Social Security Administration. It's wrong. And the thing is, just like your local authority that I was saying, employment, you know, workforce commission, workforce solution, there's been a lot of turnover um, at all of these agencies uh, since COVID. So just keep that in mind. If it seems like it might be a little crazy or wrong, uh, it might be. So. Okay. Next question. Do family max, max, do family maximize apply if the parents are divorced? Maximum, sorry. Well, the family maximum is going to apply. Um, so that that is um, a tricky question because it depends if the parents were married over 10 years and if the spouse is drawing off of the other spouse, because even if you're divorced, if you're married over 10 years, you can draw off of a spouse. So that is a... Um, that's a sticky one, and our software works that out, and everybody's situation is a little bit different on that one. Um, usually not, but it, it, it is going to be dependent on how, how we're drawing. So if, if the uh, even if a person is divorced in that example, the child can still draw off of either parent's record, not both, but either parent. So for instance, if parent one retires first, the child can draw off of parent one's record and then later parent two retires and their record is higher. The, the, the child can move over to the higher parents record. So there's a, all kinds of little things. We have whole webinars on this and, and, you know, we offer free consultations so we can kind of get in the weeds on a personal situation. Like, you know, we can kind of talk further about that, but that is a great question. Okay. Um, next question. I am, I am the stay-at-home caregiver and will receive my husband's SS. Can my son, who is my stepson, qualify for CBD? I'm sorry, CDB. Yes. Um, and in that situation with a with a step parent, then he could qualify for benefits under the step parent if you've uh, you guys have had custody and provided in that example. Okay. Um, next question. If my child, four years old, currently receives SSI and eventually I start making too much to qualify, do I have to pay it back for any reason? So you could be in a position of paying it back. So the main thing is, is SSI is a means-based program. And if you start working, you have to report your income every single month before the fifth, um, on the, between the first and the fifth of each month is when you have to report your income. 
And if they find out that you have income that was not reported, you will owe the money back. And another thing that I want to make sure is super, super clear, because this is real important, and sometimes people get messed up on this, SSI um, counts child support as income. So that is counted as income, so that would need to be reported if you're not working. And if you are getting um, child support, that is going to need to be re reported. The only way that... Um, that SSI, uh, that child support is not counted uh, for income purposes for SSI is if that child support is directed to a first party special needs trust. So anybody that's on here today that has found themselves in a divorce situation, a lot of times in the state of Texas, child support is going to continue post age 18 for kids with disabilities. Not always, okay? It just a lot of uh, agreements have that in there. What you want to do, if that's your case, great, but you're going to need to have that um, child support redirected to a first party special needs trust sometime before they turn 18 or when you apply for SSI and Medicaid, they're going to get denied because they're going to count that child support as the child's income. So if it is redirected and you'll need to work with an attorney um, that would get it redirected to a first party special needs trust, if child support is going to a first party special needs trust, it will not be counted for SSI and Medicaid purposes. So that's real important. I'm, I'm, thank you for your question. It prompted me to remind everybody of that. Okay, next question. Can waiver programs be available simultaneously? No, it's one waiver at a time and you can switch. So, um, you know, some people say that the HCS is the best waiver and some people say the class is the best waiver. And, it, and then what I would say is that it really, really depends on the individual, right? And what their needs are and what the services that they receive and what kind of attended or respite hours that they need and therapies, all that kind of stuff. Um, so one waiver, the waivers are different, you know, the budgets are different. Um, so sometimes the HCS budget is considerably bigger than the class budget, but some of the services that are provided in class are not provided in the HCS waiver, for instance. Um, so my point is, is so say, so you should take whatever you come up on first. So if you get the class waiver first, uh, and then later, five years later, uh, you come up on the HCS waiver, it's one or the other, but you have to go through. So you could actually go all the way through the process of saying, yes, I am interested in the HCS waiver. In the meantime, you're going to keep that class waiver until that HCS waiver is approved, until they've taken you all the way through the process and they tell you what you're going to get out of the HCS waiver. So that way you can compare benefits of both waivers. And ultimately, if the um, the one that you were on is better, you can stay on it. So that that is a point that I do want to make on that. Okay, um, next question. So we are getting less than $200 a month. My son is 20 is and completely independent on outside on a caregiver. Who should I contact for help adjusting his amount based on his zero earnings? So if if he's getting 200 a month in child support, it's not zero earnings. They're going to take into consideration uh, those as unearned, um, unearned income. So you would need to call the Social Security Administration and speak to them. And they are going to go back retroactive. So you could be in a position where you're owing money back. Okay. And the thing is, is just call them and get it worked out because they'll find you. It might be five years or 10 years later. And then they tell you, you own $200,000, right? <laughs> I mean, so we've actually seen that happen. Um, but you won't owe it all back at once. What they'll do is they'll reduce his monthly amount um, um, over a long period of time to pay that amount back is basically what they'll do on that. Okay, this question refers back to the waivers. When you decided to switch, will you go back to the bottom of the list of the waivers? So if, yes, if you switched, if you like, so if you switched over to HCS, could you just like be on HCS and then decide I hate this and then want to go back to class? It doesn't work like that. You would go back to that, to that list. It, you know, if you wanted to be on that class waiver, um, waiver, it wouldn't just be as simple as just switching back and forth. So that's why we tell people, and we have people call us all the time and say, hey, uh, you know, I'm on the class waiver and I'm finally come up on the HCS waiver. I need to know right now today, uh, which one should we take? And um, 
you know, we'll kind of talk through the good and the, the bad and the ugly between the two, right? But ultimately, again, I have to say, um, it, it, you know, if you hear around the water cooler that one is better than the other, that's not necessarily true because it really depends on the services that your loved one needs on which one is going to be better for you. So I always just say, choose wisely and don't just take the advice that one is better than the other. Do the math, calculate it out, dollars and cents. What does this look like for you? Which one's better for you and go with it. Okay, um, next question. Um, they are directing my child support to my child's Medicaid, which I think it's out of my control. Can I redirect it to a third party special needs trust? Is this something we can talk about in a consult? Yeah, we can we can talk about that in a consult. We would ultimately probably um, refer um, because when it comes to child support, that's going to be more of a divorce attorney, a child support attorney that's going to be working on that. Um, and I don't, but we can. We're happy to talk about kind of how it got to where it is right? As far as how it's being redirected the way it is right now, as opposed to being redirected to a third party, a first party special needs trust. Um, so certainly happy to talk about that. You're a whiz at these questions. Did you get through them? Yes, they're, for now, they're finished. Yes. Okay, perfect. All right. So, and, and we're coming um, towards, uh, towards the end of our um, presentation today. And um, these are things uh, that should be on your special needs planning radar. We kind of talked um, about a lot of them. Um, so we're here to help you develop a comprehensive special needs care plan. We're here, we do those future care cost estimates, social security analysis. What I love about the social security analysis is it is like foolproof. It tells us exactly when and how for you to pull the trigger on your benefits for social security to maximize those benefits for the whole household. It tells you dollars and cents. What are the different decisions? Like what if you turn it on at 65 versus 67 versus 70? It tells us down to the month, even down to the month that you should pull the trigger on that. So when we're thinking about maximizing benefits, if you guys are in that pre-retiree zone or you're thinking about retiring in the next three to five years, that's probably something that's gonna be important for you to look at. Um, so uh, the Texas waiver interest list, that's what we talked about today. We talked a little bit about SSI, SSDI. Guys, this is confusing. So if you have been feeling a little confused on this, you are not alone and you are not crazy. It is confusing. There are so many different acronyms that the Social Security Administration throws around and a lot of them sound the same. They sound synonymous, but they're not. And then some are. And keeping them all straight, it, it, is, it is really, really hard. But we have entire webinars dedicated to SSI and SSDI. So if you want to go deeper, you can go deeper on our YouTube channel. Also, we have webinars about working. Um, if you are going to, you know, if your loved one is getting benefits and they go to work, how does that work? Okay, we talked a little bit about ABLE accounts. Again, this is a place that they can have money above and beyond the $2,000 that won't be counted against them for SSI and Medicaid purposes. Beneficiary designations um, is a big one in almost every webinar we have. We uh, talk a little bit about the beneficiary designations. It's real important never to name your special needs child directly outright as a beneficiary on anything you have. Okay. If you do, as soon as they get that money, and it doesn't matter if they deny it, because if it was left to them, it was left to them, um, they're going to disqualify for SSI and Medicaid. Okay. So the right way to leave money to your loved one is through a third party special needs trust. Again, um, whole webinars on these topics. Um, when it comes to um, residential post, uh, there's, you know, college options, post high school options, transition options. We have all kinds of webinars on that. And then as far as guardianship and alternatives to guardianship, these are all things that should be on your radar. But do check out our YouTube channel. Again, we have um, a lot of webinars posted on all of these. Um, at Consolidated Planning Group, I work on a collaborative team of awesome people. So I always like to put some faces um, with names uh, out there. Um, when you are um, working with us, um, we, again, are nationally certified Social Security Advisors and members of the Special Needs Planning Academy. Academy. And we want to hear from you. We want to talk to you, um, talk to you a little bit more about your personal situation and answer some of the questions that maybe you didn't want to ask today. Um, we always offer uh, free personalized consultations. Um, this is an opportunity for us to get to know you a little bit better and kind of understand where you've been, where you're going, where, you know, what you need help with. We'll share a little bit more about who we are, how we work, um, the ways that we can work together going forward. So if you're interested, 
um, and scheduling a free consultation, you can kind of just take a picture, uh, hover your camera over this QR code, and it'll take us to a calendar where you guys can book um, book an appointment. We've mentioned our YouTube channel and our um, Facebook page. All of our contact information is here. So you guys are going to get a copy of today's slides. We're um, going to give you uh, a link to the recording. And also, I'm going to um, include the waiver budgets. Um, I have a spreadsheet. It's like 24 pages. I'm sorry for that. Um, but and it, and it looks like it's old because it says it's 2018. Nope, that's when the last time Texas updated it. So it's not old. We're not sending you in, uh, uh, outdated information. It's just the last time it was updated. But it compares the different waiver programs and it talks about their different budgets and things like that. Um, so we'll send that out today in today's um, e email as well. So having said that, I think we are almost right here at one o'clock. Do we have any other questions before we close for today? No, we do not. Thank you so much, Allison. This was a great information. Absolutely. Happy to partner uh, with you. I look forward to partnering with you again soon. Um, hope we can be um, of assistance to you guys. This is hard. With these webinars were born for, um, for me because as a parent, when I had a, um, a loved one transitioning, I thought, man, I, I do this. This is what I do. We eat, sleep, and breathe this, both personal, personally and professionally. This is hard. This is hard stuff. So that's why we have those webinars out there. We want you to be able to advocate for yourself and, and be able to make these informed decisions and make them early so you can get to where you want to go um, when it comes to your planning. So thanks so much, everyone. It's certainly been my pleasure, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you, Allison. Mm, bye now. Securities and Advisory Services offered through Triad Advisors, member FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory Services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.